What is it like to leave an established career to pursue entrepreneurship? Welcome back to the show. This is B is for Business, where I, your host, John Jackie Bison, sit down with entrepreneurs, founders, and inventors, those who shape our culture and industry. Thank you for listening. I welcome a very special guest to the show today, Scott Jancy. Scott began his career as an architect and then transitioned into project and program management roles. After building a successful 20-year career in these roles, Scott decided to branch out on his own. Through concepts developed in his blog, Scott realized that the next generation of leaders were being underserved. Scott founded Networked Leaders, an organization that empowers emerging leaders with the skills to succeed in a rapidly changing world. It's a great episode, ladies and gentlemen. Sit back and enjoy. Today on the show, we have Scott Jancy. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thanks, John. Uh, glad to be here. So, Scott, wanted to get started with what was the catalyst for starting your blog? You had come from the world of architecture, project management, program management. What was the impetus? Uh, good question, John. Uh, at that time, 2013, 2014, 2015 timeframe, uh, I was spending a lot of time uh, traveling the world in other countries, had a lot of downtime uh, within the airport. I'd been doing a lot of reading, um, was working with uh, some high profile clients in other countries. And with that amount of downtime, I had a lot of ideas about how to um, improve business, had thoughts on leadership, innovation, that kind of thing. And um, with that downtime, I ended up putting pen to paper, filled a couple notebooks full of ideas and um dropped it for a little while and said, God, you know what? There's a, I see a lot of people on social media starting blogs. Let me just uh, see if I can take some of these ideas and uh, start blogging daily and see what happens. Um, kind of the funny thing about it is, is I, I remember very clearly, you know, I set up the website, got it set up and uh, my name and you know, that was a lesson learned on how to build a website. I remember hitting uh, send on my first blog post, posted it, right? And uh, I was like, God, okay, here it comes. I'm going viral. And uh, the shocker was that nothing happened. Nothing happened the next day, the day after, or the day after that. And uh, in that, although I was getting ideas out and I had a couple people that were kind of checking out my uh, stuff on my mailing list and on social media, no one really reading it. And I quickly had to figure out how to learn how to advertise myself, how to market my blog. Um, however, kind of writing daily really helped clarify uh, what I was talking about uh, as I was uh, coming to grips with kind of developing some new ideas with how to, how to work with people and how to innovate in kind of a fast-paced environment. When you started Networked Leaders, you're taking the ideas that you're cultivating through this blog and sharing those ideas. How did that transition to going out and getting those first clients? It was hard, um, and I tell you, just uh, even kind of thinking back when I was blogging, after about a, like a solid year of posting daily, you know, 365 
plus posts on some good, some bad, some ugly, you know, putting stuff out on Twitter. I noticed that uh, people were contacting me on Twitter. Hey, Scott, you know, can you take a look at this? You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in design. And uh, can you, could you take a look at this and let me know what you think? Hey, I'm in tech. Um, could you give me some feedback on uh, such and such? And, um, you know, for a little while, it's just kind of working for free. And um, people started to reach out and offer, offer to pay me to do uh, writing for them, copywriting, marketing, uh, give them advice on working with uh, their junior leaders, so kind of mentoring uh, new staff, um, teaching executives that had no idea what design thinking was or innovation was, um, how to communicate with their junior staff uh, on those topics. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I think I figured out the, it, I was not actively chasing clients in you know, 2015 or so, but they, they, they you know, so I wasn't actively marketing myself, but you know, as people came to me, I'd respond to them and kind of you know, try to uh, help them when I could. Um, when I went out on my own in uh, you know, the summer of 2022, you know, I had a, uh, I was pitching myself as doing uh, you know, marketing and uh, helping people with content marketing and blogging and things like that. And, uh, you know, I, I, I thought I had a pretty good product to offer people in a service. But the interesting thing was, is that um, when people would search me up on LinkedIn or on my blogs, you know, Scott, I like what you, you're kind of writing about, I like your ideas. You know, maybe you can um, also help talk to my junior staff, you know, my people that are tagged, I've tagged as emerging leaders or these new graduates. And the conversation really shifted from me helping a leadership team or something, a CEO or the, you know, the um, marketing manager with their uh, thought leadership to really over time that shifted into me mentoring um, junior employees and helping them figure out how to express themselves in the workplace so that they can um, express their own ideas, but also you know, contribute to the life of the uh, organization as it, as it grows. I'll tell you, trying to find those clients is really tough because it's uh, uh, starting in the mid, mid of 2022, middle of 2022, when I went out on my own, it was just, uh, uh, you know, trial by fire, just, you know, constant iteration, constantly grinding to figure out what kind of messaging would stick with people in on social media. And then once I got them on the phone, what exactly I was saying to them so I could convert that into a sale. It's challenging stuff. <laughs> Yeah. So you mentioned figuring out what you're selling, the conversion of interest to a sale. What do you think the most difficult aspect of leaving your established career and branching out on your own? Was it that converting of sales or figuring out what you're selling or is there a different aspect? Uh, I think the biggest thing is a lack of a safety net and knowing that a, you just have to go all in thousand percent to making things happen and constantly push forward. And if you get something wrong, no big deal. If you got to move over it and, you know, I had some ups and downs with trying to refine uh, what my messaging was. I had some people reach out to me that didn't like what I was talking about, you know, just say, you know, it's just social media type stuff and um, people that were copying what I was talking about that I, I felt. And it, it was uh, very challenging to, start dealing with that all in real time, all at once. And uh, it really forces you to get very clear about 
what your value is to people, no, who you are, what you're offering to people, and how you're contributing to the to the greater good. And you know, I try to keep it uh, at a high level like that, and um, people seem to appreciate it. So I wanted to get into one of the perspectives you shared that I found really interesting. Uh, you shared that early in your career, information, opportunities came from quote, water cooler conversations, coffee conversations, and that now younger generations, new grads, they have way more access to information, which can be a positive. But the flip side of that is figuring out what to do with all that information that they're, they have higher access to. And you've noted that can lead to an information overload. Can you explain that dynamic a little bit more? Yeah. Um, you know, what I found, you know, starting, I first started my career coming out of architecture school in 2000 and um, interviewed at a few places and got a job and was working with a phenomenal design team at a local uh, DC firm. And I generally knew um, what I was getting into. I had the project that I was assigned to and maybe another project after that, after I finished this one, I had a team of four or five that I was working with. I knew who the BPs were in the office. And I knew that I spent a year or two in place. I'd get might have my own team to work with. And after five or six years, seven years after I became licensed, um, I might be running my own project team. And after 10 or 15 years, I'd be a VP at that firm or, you know, someplace else. Something like that. I felt like it was a very, at least with the world of architecture, I had a sense of where I was going and what I needed to do over the next 10 to 20 years. Okay. found that when I talk to new graduates now that are you know, brand new to companies, whether it's a digital media company, education, new teachers, people that are working in professional services, like a lot of people in, within the DC area, the new graduates have, they, they don't come in with a sense of you know, what they need to do to become you know, the CEO. You know, they're looking to, you know, they, they might be aware of that general path, but also every other path available to them. I find that they have enormous information from social media, uh, the, uh, from uh, Twitter, from Instagram, from TikTok on what, what a specific workplace may be like, um, what it's like to work in a particular industry, how to move up quicker, how to become a better leader, how to become a better manager, how to become uh, the best marketer they can be, how to become good at business development, how to do sales. I didn't have access to any of that. You, know, you go to the book, local bookstore and find a self-help book and pull the book off and learn how to be a better speaker. Um, but these kids, the, the younger generation, say kids, because it's including my two teen boys. Um, I'll get to them in a second. Um, but the people that are coming out of school these days, and even uh, there are people that have been tagged as emerging leaders, they have access to so much information. And I find that it's uh, that can be very overwhelming because they don't know maybe how to take that information and apply that to solve specific problems within the work that's relevant to their team. Um, and so what I've seen is people get really frustrated that things in the workplace aren't moving fast enough and people getting frustrated and leaving because, ah, it's a slow, it's a slow organization. It's like, well, that might be the case, but, you know, hey, listen, um, you're, you bring a lot to the table here. Let me just help you kind of um, let's focus your energy and your skills on what needs to be uh, solved and um, let's work through that. So it's a matter of kind of getting people to slow down, take a deep breath. Everything's okay. You have a lot of information you have access to how to solve problems. The organization at this point may not be able to shift quickly enough for where you are. And um, it's, uh, it's hard, um, but it's that getting to slow down, getting to 
coordinate with other like minds, uh, like-minded people that also have access to a lot of information uh, within their uh, office and getting them to see the bigger picture and how they can make an impact with their work. That makes sense? Yeah, that does make sense. And I think it will lead into this question nicely. So I think there's a sentiment um, with younger generations, with people new to workplaces, they can feel like they're being put into a box, which is very frustrating for people who feel like they have more to offer to an organization. And that leads to problems for organizations of people buying in, retention. Um, What can corporations do on one hand to alleviate this problem? Um, And on the other side, what can that employee do to have their creative to show their creative talents and skills and other skills they may have been developing? And how can they do that without feeling like they're disrupting the workplace or putting themselves at risk? Right. That's a great question. Um, And I think there's a a couple aspects of it. Uh, You know, the way that I view, uh, I think the way that some organizations, a lot of organizations view employees, um, I believe negatively, is just as a job description. You were hired to do a specific job. You know, that's your, you know, your, your scope of work. Yeah, and that's it. Uh, what I talk to organizations about is what about that space around the job description that might represent a whole person? Okay, sure, you hired somebody to do A, B, and C, but what about other talents and skills that they have? Um, how can those things be applied? If someone's a great speaker, how can we um, put that person up in front of others to take on some initiative? If someone is really good at organizing something and they're currently being underutilized in their current job, how can we tap into those other skills that may not present themselves immediately to help them get involved in other aspects of the company through uh, things like policy committees, innovation committees, perhaps exploring uh, how to utilize people in creative ways on other uh, projects and contracts. Um, they're really that type of thinking about how to better u- utilize your people to their fullest extent, requires people to, um, requires organizations to be a a lot more flexible and invest the time in learning more about their people. It's uh, it's not easy. Um, It's it's, it's an investment of time. It's an investment of money. And, uh, you know, the, when you, when an organization opens itself up to, you know, innovation can come from anywhere and good idea or Good ideas can come from anywhere within the organization, whether it's improving some internal process or system or, you know, developing something that's going to create a kind of broader growth for the company. You know, that's, um, that's useful stuff, but it, it takes time to develop that. Now, you know, the other aspect of it is, is that in the individual you know, themselves, you know, do they feel comfortable enough speaking up? A lot of times what I hear is, oh, you know, I'm not trained to do A, B, and C. I, I went to college and had a degree have a degree in this, which is completely separate from that. It's like, no, but let's talk about it a little bit. You know, what you said in the meeting the other day, so-and-so, um, is absolutely applicable to you know, the project that uh, that team is trying to solve. Let's pull you in and see if we can collaborate and figure out how to, um, one, get you more involved, but uh, to get your idea incorporated in uh, w- what you're trying to do. Um, getting people to have the confidence to speak up is I think one of the biggest inhibitors to people expressing ideas because they're, they're afraid of um, you know, uh, stepping on someone else's toes and it might not be in their swim lane or it might be um, you know, they're, they're afraid of uh, somebody else maybe who's already doing that work 
coming down on them um, requires growth on you know the part of the organization and the individual to uh, just be a lot more flexible and uh, open to ideas coming from other places. That makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, that's, that's something I think we're talking about with people being able to receive more information. And there's other outlets to get trained up to explore new skills outside of what came from your degree, figuring out how to bring that into the workplace when maybe it wasn't exactly what you're hired for. Like you're saying, they've developed their public speaking skills, but um, they work in finance. So how do I bring this to my workplace? How do I bring it to my organization? Uh, I think it's something a lot of people have to face. That's a big struggle. Yeah, one of one of the things uh, that I think I've written about, I had an experience where kind of early on, I came out of school, I, I figured out here's an example of what I was talking about with people um, expressing their ideas. I'm, I'm generally, for one reason or another, I'm good at organizing things, right? Um, and from every firm that I've been in, I've been key to organizing groups of people to get together to do things, whether it be for coffee in the morning or maybe there's a hey, we're all going out for this, we're all going to go out for lunch today and have a topic to talk about. Uh, that kind of thing through multiple places that I've worked has it, uh, grown from very casual get-togethers like that to running strategy sessions for organizations. And it's something that uh, I didn't go to school to learn how to do. I've just kind of had it, it's just come to me very easily to figure out how to pull a pull a group of people together, identify the common threads, tie them together, and um, get everyone moving forward in a in a in the same direction. Um, I can't explain it, but um, that's just one of my superpowers. And uh, people have to be willing to kind of trust their instincts and uh, put them on the line and offer to help. Same time, you know, the aware manager or leader needs to be able to identify those things and pull those threads as they expose, as you know, the uh, next generation of leaders, um, as they show themselves, you know, uh, enable people to uh, express uh, their uh, their new ideas. On a similar bend of the struggles in the modern workplace, what kind of guidance, and this isn't necessarily for newer generations, it's really for everyone. What kind of guidance do you give to people for adapting and adopting advancements like AI, the digital tools that are out there that um, maybe aren't part of the way they've worked before, but are kind of becoming necessary? Right. Uh, with AI in particular, uh, I've dabbled with it quite a bit. I think that uh, it will only give you, it's important to understand that it'll only give you what you ask it. Okay. So if you want it to give you a very detailed, refined product, and I'm thinking of writing in particular, um, some sort of written product, you need to give it a, uh, that tool, a very specific, uh, detailed request. Okay. So if you're writing writing something and you know that you're trying to reach, let's just say, mid-level mid executive that, that works at a uh, company of a thousand people that does this type of business and has these concerns and they're managing these types of people, um, that's how you get it to give a very detailed um, response. And that's the point I'd be telling you that is that you know, AI is not a uh, cure-all or fix-all. It's only creative as um, you enable it to be by providing creative inputs. Um, um, I, I've used it on occasion to uh, kind of like an interactive Google to, you know, it used to be go to Google and search something up. Um, um, so I use uh, ChatGPT for that now. Instead of going to Google, I go to ChatGPT and ask my question there. And um, I can fine tune my answers even more, get to the answer I need more quickly by creatively answering or 
asking what he does. And um, so I find it very effective that way. So I, I think that the using AI, yeah, all about it, but you have to know what you're dealing with. And um, it's not a cure-all, fix-all to answering things. You just have to be aware that you need to be, um, like dealing with any kind of data, you need to be very specific in what you ask it to do. And then still use discernment to uh, you know, validate the information that's coming towards you. If someone's wanting to bring a tool like AI, whatever application it is, ChatGPT or one of the other ones out there, or any kind of new digital tool, is there like recommended approaches for how they introduce that to teams, organizations? Because it, I mean, the status quo can be very powerful and breaking that saying, oh, we should be using this can be difficult. How should people do that? I would start small, uh, you know, have a number of people that, uh, you know, and depending on the size of the organizations, I deal with a lot of uh, solopreneurs and entrepreneurs that on their own, they just figured out what, what works for them. They, a lot of people treat it as for writing as like a copywriting assistant, you know, marketing people, business development people that are develop, developing proposals can do amazing things. Um, so I think the, the, the advice is uh, set up a small committee, small group um, that's willing to just give it a go and see what you can do, see what it can do for proposal writing, see what it can do for um, email campaigns. Um, I was talking with a guy that was developing, using AI to develop chat box texts and uh, responses and um, with people that had never, uh, that were kind of tech averse. And um, we got there just by getting them to understand that, you know, it's not a, uh, treat it like a virtual assistant or a copywriting assistant. And, um, cut loose on it and, you know, the, the figure out what works, how that tool can be used for your organization, given your current processes. Um, and I think when it starts to become, when you start to figure out the shortcuts you can develop with it, um, then it will become more relevant for the other people within your organization that uh, might be using it. If you were to just drop it and enter, hey, hey company, we now have access to ChatGPT, um, feel free to use it in whatever way. Um, you know, I think you'll end up wasting a lot of time. Um, I think you need some key people focused on it, thinking about how it could be uh, implemented and used, you know, for effect um, on certain tasks within the office and jobs um, before a, a wider rollout. I want to jump back in to your life as an entrepreneur. Um, and I think this probably also applies to the services you're giving um, is the concept of imposter syndrome. So I think one of the things that entrepreneurs deal with and people entering the workplace deal with um, is the concept of imposter syndrome, not feeling like they're qualified uh, to be doing what they're doing. Um, did you struggle with that when you first went out on your own, especially in the world of coaching and training? And when you run into that with clients, um, how do you help people work through that? That's a, that's a great question. The imposter syndrome is, uh, is very real because you hit a point in your life where uh, at whatever stage and it's like you have to pinch yourself and say, is this real? Is this really happening to me? You know, whether it's uh, your, your first paycheck that you get, you know, as an entrepreneur or when you start having uh, you land your first big client, is this really happening? That guy hired me to do uh, X, Y, and Z. It's like, yeah, that really happened. And um, uh, I, th I think the, the, there are a number of ways to think about this. I, I think this is the, 
I thought about it is one, start small. Um, I felt like uh, at, at a time where when I went out on my own, when I started to connect the dots and started to connect the small wins, I knew I had something. And and the more I talked to people, the more I talked to organizations, they wanted to be, have, have them to come in and talk with them in person or virtually, the more validation I got from them, from others on that I was actually on the right path. Um, it's very challenging because um, even now I feel like I have imposter syndrome, but um, I can look back on all the small wins that I have, have and have, and I take comfort in the fact that, you know, I put a lot of work to get here. Um, people are paying me for what, uh, what I'm saying. Um, geez, I'm, I'm not really an imposter anymore. I'm actually doing it. Um, but even before I went out on my own, um, and this is something that uh, I think any entrepreneur, whether they're working inside an organization or they're off on their own, can do is to think about those small wins that they've had in their career. Um, think about the times, like you know, the meeting and coaching and mentoring. You know, I've been I've coached uh, kids sports as a Boy Scout. I've led you know uh, I've led small groups throughout elementary school when I was a kid in middle school, in high school, in college, and. I've always been in front of people, helping them to get organized and move in some direction. And I always found myself drawn to um, the people that were new to things. And I kind of take them under my wing, mentor them, and show them show them the ropes and help them help them get where they need to go. In. So from that perspective, you know, when I, when, as I was dealing with the imposter syndrome, I look back, I said, you know what? I've been doing this all my life. You know, this is talking to people like that, like I'm doing now with corporate clients. Is I've been doing that since I was five years old, right? And uh, that, that kind of thing give, gave me the confidence to uh, lean into what I'm trying to do uh, even further. So I, I, I tell people that are just beginning the entrepreneurial journey or figuring out how to you know, develop their voice within the organization to um, look back at your successes. See if you can connect the dots over time through different stages in your life where you had kind of uh, similar types of wins, whatever your interests might be. And develop a story about that. Develop a narrative about how you overcame the, those obstacles, and um, that becomes a story that you can fall back on. You can you, you repeat to yourself. Um, it's like, yeah, I am doing the right thing here. I've had these successes all my life, and um, you know that, that'll help build momentum uh, for the for the way forward. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Looking back at what you've done is important because I think a lot of people, including myself, it's easy to disconnect what you did prior to your career, maybe like you're saying, even elementary and high school, your experiences then and things you do outside of work. Oh, I play sports in my local community or this or that, and then connect that with what do I do within my organization or what do I do in my day-to-day -day business life? Those can become separate easily and connecting those and looking at the small wins outside of those can help you feel confident inside of the place you feel imposter syndrome. Right. You know, and the other, the other thing about it is, is that when you start connecting the dots from however you perceive the past and however far you want to go back and you look at what you're doing kind of in the present, um, when you get clear on what that narrative is, what the future might hold um, becomes a little bit clearer. You know, that you're in the sense that uh, you may not know exactly what you'll be doing in your, in your next job, but other things, marks, uh, you, you might start seeing the options uh, in front of you in a different light that will help you connect the dots for what's coming next. 
Um, and that alone, me is I, I, you know, where I'm, the story, the, uh, the narrative that I've built over time and where I am right now coaching people and where I see this going, you know, I, I have a better sense of what the options are available, what I should be doing and, and what I should not be doing. And um, because of that, I tend not to stress too much about what's coming up because I, I know that I'm on the right track. So this next part is a segment I call quote on a quote. Um, basically, I'll read a quote to you and then you just give me your thoughts. This is a quote from Rand Fishkin, quote, best way to sell something, don't sell anything. Earn the awareness, respect, and trust of those who might buy. Trust is everything. I think that when you start to establish trust with the people around you, you know, that magical things start to happen. Um, when they know that when I talk to someone and they tell me, uh, and it might be five, six, seven interactions as I, someone I, I just meet, when they know that uh, when I show up, they're, they're going to get a certain product and a certain type of delivery and my personality, then things, uh, things start to happen. Um, I think trust is the absolute uh, key to, uh, to selling for me because it's a lot of relationship-based. Um, I feel like my approach is very relationship-based. And um, I think when I establish trust with people, then you know, they're willing to open their organization for me to come in and uh, help them out. Yeah, and especially with something like coaching, if someone's out there thinking maybe that's what they need or what they want, the differentiator is not that you offer it, but it's you and the relationship you've built, the trust you've established that they'll come to you for coaching um, rather than any of the other people offering coaching on the market. So that the trust aspect makes a lot of sense. I want to get to my final question. What would your advice be for a person who believes they have a vision for a company or product? What should their first step be? Confirm if they have someone to sell it to. Okay. Understand, I, I like to say, I can begin with the, the end in mind. Who, who do you think you're uh, selling this to? And I'm as visionary and as conceptual, and I, I, I will entertain all kinds of crazy ideas uh, that, I, that I get for myself and, and also others. But um, I quickly bring that down to earth by thinking about, okay, this is an idea. How can I, how will this solve someone's problem? And when you attach that to a problem, you turn the idea from folly into something that will actually be of, uh, of use to someone. I think that's great advice. Well, Scott, thanks so much for coming on the show. If you want people to connect with you, where should they go? The uh, best way would be uh, LinkedIn. Um, it's one of my, uh, where I'm most active these days. And uh, I'm on there uh, you know, a couple times a day, checking in on conversations and dialogue. And uh, feel free to uh, connect with me or message, with, message me. And happy to get a conversation going with you. Awesome, Scott. Thanks again for coming on. Yeah, thanks, John. Really appreciate it. You can connect with Scott Jancy on LinkedIn or check out Networked Leaders at networkedleaders.com or read Scott's blog at scottjancy.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of B is for Business. You can connect with us on LinkedIn and Facebook at B is for Business and Instagram at B is for Business Show. If you enjoyed this episode, consider sharing it with a friend and leaving us a rating on wherever you're listening. Have a great Monday, everyone.
Thanks for listening to B is for Business. Intro music is by The Revolution. Outro music is by Reveal. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent. B is for Business is a trademark of Bison LLC. Remember to like, subscribe, and share B is for Business across all platforms. Thank you.